Chris. Hey, John. This is very strange, because we're recording a podcast together, but we're in the same room. Yeah, like regular podcaster people. Like, just look to your right, and I'll look to my left. Yeah. Oh, there's a handsome fellow. <laughs> uh, yeah, normally we're on the phone, if people don't know that. And now we are in the same town. We've never had to really bring this up on the show, because it's not really related, but... I used to live in Birmingham, Alabama, and then I moved to Baltimore, and when we started doing this podcast, it just necessitated you getting a microphone to hook up to your computer, and then I'd record my side in Baltimore, and then we marry them, and people who listen, outside of a few references, might not ever catch the suggestion that we're not in the same room. Well, now we are in the same room, and I don't know if it's going to be weird or not, but the, the reason I'm in town is because I'm back home visiting family and friends in Birmingham, and it happened to coincide because we're visiting over my son's spring break, it happened to coincide with the premiere of Better Call Saul, season three. It seemed to make sense. We wanted to stay on schedule with our podcast. We thought we'd record an episode in the same room. And also, this episode is unique because we both just watched the season premiere together. So I have had no time to form any real thoughts about what we just saw. I don't know if you feel strange talking about it so soon after seeing it, but normally I at least pace around and like think about my notes or something. But right now I feel like I'm very hot off of just finishing the episode five minutes ago or something. Right, right. This probably just more puts you on the same footing that I'm normally on, of like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm not sure what all to think. Uh, and then I just do the show, whereas you mull it over much more and, and, and process what all the implications could be a lot harder. So this episode was written and, uh, well, it was co-written by the show's creators, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould. I'm going to get his name right this year. I feel like all last season... I said Peter J. Gould right. instead of Peter Gould. I, I think that is because J is the sort of perfect middle initial, mm -hmm. you know, like Homer J. Simpson kind of. It just sure. feels like a middle initial. Rocket J. Squirrel. Right. And also because of uh, Stephen J. Gould, the biologist, scientist, like he's a writer who, he was one of those guys who would be on talk shows and something of a pundit, but he was also a... There's a somebody, Jay Gould. A scientist writer. Well, definitely Stephen Jay Gould is the scientist and writer that I'm thinking of. So if anyone listened last year and wanted to shake their fist at me for saying the name wrong, it's not Peter Jay Gould, it's Peter Gould. If I treat it like a swear jar, uh, if I say Peter Jay Gould, I have to put money into the swear jar. I have to put a thousand dollars into the swear jar. A thousand dollars. All right. <laughs> so co-written by Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould and directed by Vince Gilligan. This episode was called Mabel. Due to a book that Jimmy finds in Chuck's library when they're stripping all the mylar off the walls, I don't know much about that book. I, I assume it's a real book. I don't. I don't even know I've that much. I've never heard of it, so I did not assume it's a real book, except for the fact that the show. You know, usually when they make any kind of pop culture references, it is a real thing. I don't remember it well. Maybe a restaurant. You know, they would make up their own restaurant. But, I think uh, that's slightly different. It like, could be a made-up book. Like making up a restaurant to be in the show feels like something you do so that you have control over that thing. But it seems like you include a book like that so that it can be a reference to something. So sounded like a really nice book. Yeah, that's right. It did sound interesting when he started talking about the plot. Well, next week, I'll probably know a little bit, maybe too much, about The Adventures of Mabel, and we can decide whether it was an important reference. Okay. Another book that popped up this episode was in the Gene uh, sort of flash forward, which was, I don't know if it's a book about his life or if it's a novel that he wrote or what it is, but it seems to be a book by David Niven called The Moon's a Balloon. You have to be looking fast because Gene just grabs it quickly. Yes. Uh, and, uh, but uh, yeah, maybe that's a, 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 a biogra autobiography by yeah. David Niven. I mean, I could imagine that there's some reason why they thought that would be a useful book 
to say this is what Gene is reading in, in the future of this timeline, but it also could just be a nod to the fact that Jimmy does seem to have this obsession with Hollywood and movies. That's and, right. And he may just have, he may be the t- sort of person who would be reading the biography of a famous actor. Just That's because. right. That's true when you say that, yeah. So we're not sure if those are important references. There was a lot in this episode that I feel like felt as though it could be important going forward, but it's hard for us to gauge exactly what we just saw in a lot of ways. Yeah. We'll talk about a little of that. I guess I'll just say first off, what were your impressions of Mabel? I know that we we left the end of the episode last year saying, kind of discussing whether the show was moving slowly, whether we're just going to embrace the slow burn. I think I've always been in favor of embracing the slow burn. But even in that sense, I, I had to sort of realize just how much of a slow burn this show is. Did you feel coming into this season, are you are you now on in for the ride of the slow burn of the show? Or are you still going, What what is this show about? Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it's... Uh going to be as slow as all that and the the teasers for next week uh look like uh stuff is coming up uh so uh so i'm ready and 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 this week i feel like some of the main stuff uh yeah was not hurtling into new action but was giving you some foreboding feelings because of uh chuck saying you will pay Mm -hmm. and the uh the air force uh guy saying the uh, the wheel is going to turn yeah those are both things that just make you like, oh, how much is he going to pay? How, how much is the wheel going to turn and when and how? Maybe that's just one of the main thrusts of the episode. Right. The things are kind of, I, I mean, I wrote down in my notes and just underlined it a couple times, consequences. It really yep. feels like they're not letting us wiggle uh, within our appreciation of Jimmy as a guy and to think, well, he's a pretty good guy. I mean, this episode again and again, we were, we, I feel like we spent a whole season last year watching him kind of flailing and not gaining a lot of ground. And this season seems to be starting with that that as the pretext, that Jimmy mm-hmm. really, there's nobody associated with him that would sort of put anything past him, you know? Like, yeah. even Kim, who's sort of on his side, knows the, the full truth, of, or some of the full truth of what Jimmy has done and knows what he's capable of. Um, so it did feel like there was not a lot of, a lot for him to hold on to in this episode. And I, I think, interestingly enough, I think they did it the first season, too. We start thinking at the end of the season, what, what are they going to do next season? And then when they come back the next season, they pick up almost as close to right where they left off as possible. Yeah. This year was even more so, going so far as to go back a little bit. A few in, seconds, yeah. To show us the end of last season again from a slightly different point of view. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that was just the show signaling, yes, we are continuing with this very gradual uh, sort of erosion of this guy's world and and i wonder is it just going to become too depressing to watch <laughs> if if it just keeps going like this i mean obviously there'll be capers along the way yeah. but is it is it are we in for a decline because i still am not quite resigned to this idea that it has to be depressing that jimmy turns into saul or or creates saul right but if there are always consequences for everything then then yeah it can just get harder and harder uh, because then you you know you try new things to get out of the out of the consequences for the old things, and then there's consequences for those things. But I feel like uh, we actually had the conversation now. It's starting to dawn on I me. Mean, it seems like maybe when he uh, took pictures by Fifi, the, the B-29, or maybe it was some other incident that made us say, well, I think he'll get away with that. Or one of us said, oh, that's a one-off thing they'll do and they won't come back to it. And the other one said, do you think this will ever come back and bite him on the ass? And that, <laughs> you know, one of, and I can't, if, if we had that discussion about that incident, I can't remember which side I was on. Uh, but here it is, uh, something that I feel like now I had thought, okay, that's done. Uh, and now he's back. And I still, they could still be done with that after this visit from the guy from the Air Force. But, uh, they may yet be like, 
as the show often seems to do, eh, that little thing you thought was not a big deal, we're going to turn that into something that, that hangs over him for another seven episodes. I thought of that specifically with the Air Force guy, because we saw the previously on, before the episode, and it included a flashback to the scene with Fifi right. and Fudge Talbot. And I wondered, oh, well, how's that going to come into play? And then I thought, oh, well, surely there's some way that that can be something he could get nicked for. You know, like there can right. be some way that that's illegal in a way that he can be caught. Um, then the Air Force guy shows up, and it does seem like it's an illustrative thing of that consequence of one of his little capers. But it made me wonder, when they put that scene in, did they know it was coming back? Or were they, when they were breaking this year, did they sit down and say, we need something to come back on Jimmy? And they just realized, oh, we've got this Air Force thing right in front of us. We can bring right. that actor back. He was nice. I mean, whatever they were thinking about yeah. that scene, it does seem to me that... It's hard to imagine that they're predicting all these uses they're going to make of these small details. But they do that all the time, take some small detail and kind of enrich it. Did they know this is coming back? Or did they just think, oh, wouldn't it be neat if something seemingly inconsequential came back? Right, and you can never know how much they're, how much they're planning and how much they're flying by the seat of their pants. I think they do a, a lot of both. You know, more, more planning than we might imagine, but also more 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 changing up when the new season starts. It's like, now let's, let's do a different thing than we thought we were going to do, you know. I do hear Vince Gilligan say all the time, oh, when we put the, um, when we had the scene where Walt on Breaking Bad bought the machine gun, we didn't know what was going on there. Oh, right. And then we saw what they were doing with it, and it felt like something they could have orchestrated, but also feels slightly like something you could have pulled out of your ass. I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a hat trick that they pull off. So I do believe that maybe what they figured out is just a way to write stuff that's very tightly written. And they somehow, and I know sometimes, um, just in terms of talking about writing, we've talked about this idea of like, how many details do you put in? And like, if you decide not to have someone say, oh, my dad's from Montana. Like if you cut that line, then you can later decide where that character's dad is from. But if you have him say, my dad's from Montana, then you are stuck with at least, well, if their dad's not from Montana, why did they say he is? Right. I think they're expert at not putting that line in where someone says, my dad's from Montana, so that they aren't married to something that they have to honor. But right. I also think they're really good at going back and finding, oh, you know, he mentioned having a dad from Montana. Somehow they, they managed to... Op they, we'll use they, that and make a whole big Montana gang comes but like, down. If they are making it up as much as Vince Gilligan indicates that they are as they go along, um, then they are doing a great job of kind of walking between the raindrops, of it never feeling totally random. Like, it didn't feel random when the Air Force guy showed up, but it also didn't seem inevitable, you know? Before we get away from the Air Force guy, let me mention a couple of little... Lines in there during their argument that I liked. Uh, one is <laughs> Jimmy's. Obviously, he's not. You know, doesn't want to do anything about this. But he uh, trying to fend the guy off says criticism is always welcome, and just keeps <laughs> keeps blabbering. But you know, it's not <laughs> like he's gonna. He doesn't want to take the commercial down because somebody said something. Right. And um, also, the guy says, you know, you lied to me. You 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 bamboozled us or whatever. And Jimmy just says, we're gonna have to agree to disagree. <laughs> but you know, it's like the guy has just said, here's the fact. You said this, but it yeah. was not that. And Jimmy says, "Well, we got we'll agree to disagree." He's kind of acting like your picture in your mind of the sleazy lawyer, but it's it's vacant all that flamboyance of of a Saul Goodman, and so it really does feel like here's this weaselly man, Jimmy McGill, who we've been falling in love with to some degree, and here he's being confronted by something that he's done. And there's like I had my I had to well I'll address this again in a minute, but just as far as the Air Force guy, I had to kind of realize that 
we like Jimmy, and therefore we're sympathetic to his point of view, but the facts of this situation are really that he's kind of been, he just got nailed for something he did that was pretty crummy, I guess. I mean, it is true that what Jimmy says that it was essentially a victimless crime, but I did notice when the guy was listing the things that Jimmy could be accused of, one of the things he said was stolen valor, which I think is a great, like... I don't know. I'm sure that, that maybe that's a real thing. I, that might be the term they use when uh, someone impersonates a, 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 a veteran. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, it's a good way to encapsulate very familiar. why they w- like. It's a good way to shorthand that. Right. Of like, this is what's offensive about that is that th- this this being a soldier has valor, and if you impersonate one, then you are right. You are impinging on something in a really immoral sense. Like, right. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And I also thought that the way that Jimmy starts to defend himself, and it starts to feel like you're going to get back on Jimmy's side because he's doing one of his sort of impassioned speeches. He says, um, uh, always with the high horse. They're always make, trying to make me feel like And a- then he stops because he realizes he's not really talking to this Air Force kid. He's talking to Chuck or he's talking to Kim or he's talking to anybody that he thinks has sort of lorded it over him. Yeah. But he's guilty of that thing that shady people are guilty of. The world or people who make jokes about lawyers. But it's he's he's guilty of... Well, I was thinking, yes, specifically, though, about Jimmy, not just lawyers. That he's sort of... When, when you're kind of a, a sketchy or a shady person, sometimes you start piggybacking your legitimate grievances with this sort of persecution complex. And so Jimmy... I mean, again, I love the guy, and I want to see him do well, but in that moment, I think he stopped himself because, A, he realized he wasn't really, that this isn't really the person he wants to direct this tirade at. Yeah. But also, where does this go? Like, he's not going to win this argument this way. He just really wants someone to say, like, man, I'm sorry that you feel crummy and that you feel like you don't have any options except doing the wrong thing. Here, let's have a hug. I mean, he, uh, he yeah. or he needs Marco, or he needs somebody that's going to be like with him, but nobody will be, you know. Yeah. And so in that moment, he kind of stops himself. I felt like that scene was sort of a, a miniature version of what the show is doing with primarily this episode, but maybe with this whole arc, which is saying those arguments that we've seen Jimmy use, they can't overcome the fact that he's doing uh, wrong things. And I was going to ask you, how mad are you or how mad do you think we really should be at Jimmy for falsifying the evidence in the Mesa Verde case? Like, we know why he did it for, for emotional reasons. And we kind of enjoyed, in a way, seeing Chuck have to eat a little shit. Uh, but when we're looking at now all the fallout there could be, all the enmity that he has sort of inspired with this, how do you feel about that? Are you mad at Jimmy at all for doing that? I mean, do you, do you register that as, oh, he shouldn't have done that? Or do you just think... All's fair in love and war, and now he's kind of on the losing end of this thing he did. I guess because he's the hero and I want to empathize with him, I register it the same way anytime I see a kid do something that's a really bad thing to do, but they're a kid. You know, it's like, um, yeah, he knew it was bad, but he didn't know the consequences were this bad, and he didn't know it would hurt people that bad, and he didn't know it could come back on him that bad. You know, so he thought... He thought he was committing a prank or a minor crime uh, when, in fact, somebody could get killed. You know, that that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't hate uh, kids who, who uh, commit a possibly dangerous prank. I just feel for them like, oh, boy, that was that was ignorant and and uh, foolhardy. And you shouldn't have in that moment or that day been ignorant and foolhardy. And you're still a person who I can. I can root for, but ooh, you made a mistake, and it's probably going to come back. And that then leads to the question of, I mean, are we essentially watching another tragedy, a la Breaking Bad? Good question. 
<laughs> it's like, we don't know yet. Right. We don't know how dark they're going to make us feel about all this. This definitely felt like an episode where they, the show is still existing in the real world, and there was no euphoric high uh, for anything Jimmy might do. And I will say that he does seem like he's a little bit in the passenger seat of his own show sometimes because of the, these people swirling around him. And I would say that would be my, one of my only sort of misgivings or things that I hope they don't do. I hope they don't marginalize Jimmy quite to the extent that they did last year. I was yeah. fine with a season where he's kind of flailing and nothing's quite clicking. I don't know that I want to see another season where, where I mean, yeah, I want to either see Slip and Jimmy having some fun, or I want to see Saul Goodman kicking ass and taking names in the way that he can. This guy in between who's sort of sad... Yeah. It's sort of depressing. <laughs> it's not as much of a thrill, and it's more of a drama. Yeah. So, yeah, moving from the Air Force guy, the, the other big... You mentioned the line he had where he talked about the wheel's going to turn. And yeah. you mentioned the other big line of that nature in this episode is Chuck basically just saying to Jimmy, like, without telling him I have a recording, saying, I'm never going to forgive you for this. Or I'm going to get you back. Yeah. You, the, the revenge will be had, and don't think you can reminisce about our childhoods and get me to... To sort of warm back up, warm to back you. up to you, like my little brother. That I've, but I mean, th- again, it's a great way to make us feel because we feel for Jimmy in that moment because we know that Chuck has always been this guy, and it comes up later for me too when Paige and Kim are talking about the Mesa Verde account, and it seems that Kim is kicking ass on it, and Paige is talking to her, but she really wants to talk dirt about Chuck. Yeah, um, and you can see that Kim feels there's misgivings on her part because of that because she knows the truth. But they both also know that Chuck is kind of a of a of an imperious, egotistical prick. Right. So there's some just desserts for him in a way. It's just so it's just so twisted. So in those moments between Chuck and Jimmy, it's a very similar thing. It's like you know that on a certain level, on a certain day, if you depending on whose story you heard, you would think, man, Chuck, that brother of yours is such a deadbeat, you know. But yeah. we watch a show about his brother, and so we see how cold he is. Right. Um, and then, furthermore, I, did you notice how much black Chuck was wearing in this episode? And no. how much he's, like, acting like a villain? Like, this was a very villainous episode, like, coming out of the shadows, wearing black, saying, you will pay. Right. Um, when he was talking to Howard in the scene where he plays the tape for Howard, he's clearly got, like, an evil plan, you know? Right, it seems like. And Howard is having this robotic, pragmatic response. He seems like he would love to to nail Jimmy to the wall, but he doesn't think that this is going to help, and he sees more danger in pursuing this. He's a true lawyer. Right, right. Like, he's really looking at it in the, what can we do with this legally? Our options are limited. Do you really want to do this, this, or this? So let's let's just forget about it. Um, right. I, it kind of sounds like he's, he's saying, well, now I've heard this tape. I agree. Jimmy is a crazy, awful person for what he did, but, uh, you know, based on, on these laws and rules, you know, whether you can get that into evidence and so on, like, and, and just the fact that he can see the attitude on, on Chuck's face, you know, it, it seems like, like what he wants to say is, yeah, but when you have a, a crazy person like that, just get away from them, you know, don't insert yourself into a new, uh, mission of revenge and, and make your own life worse. Right. And you wonder with Howard how much there is a moral component to him, because I could see him going on one side of this or the other. I could see if Chuck push, pushes too hard, Howard would be unable to stomach watching him torture his brother. For sure. I didn't know where that scene was going from the start. I was like, ooh, this could be the moment where we see Howard just be like, yeah, Chuck, let's just not worry about, never yeah. mind. You know, just because he could sort of, just sort of, uh, you you could position him somehow to sort of just see Jimmy's side in the moment. But also knowing Chuck as well as he knows Chuck, to see that Chuck is maybe a guy who goes too far or, 
you know what I mean? Like maybe he's thinking these McGill brothers are a real piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's kind of stuck between them. So the tape recorder didn't just get pulled out in that scene. It also got uh, pulled out in the scene with Ernesto where there's changing of batteries and and we see this explosion from Chuck over the tape. I mean, Ernesto must also be thinking, boy, these guys are just nuts. But like, right. But the way that that played out, I mean, I think that that was a... Gr- that was an ingenious way to give somebody somehow who might actually be sympathetic to Jimmy might say, Chuck's got a tape of you or something? And Jimmy can go, what? What's well, that Well, that about? would sort of be the second time that Ernesto would be uh, yeah. Jimmy's inside man because he kind of covered for Jimmy or maybe he called Jimmy. There's some confusion around what happened at the coffee shop last season. The coffee shop. Coffee shop yeah. last season. I go in and drink copies all the time. And so you already felt like maybe he, he yeah, because he's friends with Jimmy. And so this is a setup for what could be a, a huge uh, uh, sting. You know, he could he could help him. Who knows how much or how? Well, it is sort of the... But it was weird. He only heard that one little clip, which was an important clip of like, you changed the numbers from 1230. But he would have to know all the details of what's going on to understand that that clip, but maybe that was just, you know, TV shorthand. I think it was, Ernesto has heard Jimmy's voice on the tape, so that's all you need to know. Right. And then Jimmy can start to piece the Find out there's a tape. Together. This is true. And it made me think about in life, there's two things it made me think of. One is just that, would it have been easier and better for Chuck in the long run if it had been like, oh, hold on, just turn that off, I don't want to listen to that. Oh, yeah. And Ernesto <laughs> would have been like, okay, whatever that was. Maybe yeah. it would have come up with Jimmy, there's some tape or something, but much less likely than after Chuck has flipped out over the tape yeah. and then done that thing. And this is the thing it made me think of from life. If you ever do kind of blow up at somebody or you show your ass in a way that you know you shouldn't have, the way that you try to sort of reason back down to, let's go back to the, the way, we, like Chuck may feel that I, I've solved that problem. Right. Ernesto heard the tape, but I explained to him, you know, the issues here and he's not going to do anything and to endanger his career. he could be in huge trouble. Right. Whereas Ernesto is thinking... There was a weird tape. Chuck flipped out and and then tried this weird uh, Jedi mind trick with me of explaining to me how I I wasn't going to do anything. Yeah, so I feel like that has to come back and haunt Chuck, you know, in some way. That yeah. feels like them setting up, right. as opposed to the Air Force guy, which didn't feel like them setting up a later consequence. This definitely feels like Ernesto is now. I mean, he seems like one of those secondary or tertiary characters that they might have fun saying. Now we can introduce him into the main plot. We've had a couple seasons of right. knowing he's Jimmy's friend, you know. Right. So I thought that was interesting. Like in the same episode that Chuck is kind of crowing about having this trump card, it kind of blows up in his face in some way. That's not that doesn't take away the danger to Jimmy, but it does mean maybe he will be able to get a little bit of a drop on Chuck. Yeah. Speaking of Chuck too, the way that Kim and Paige talked about Chuck, and then we see Kim, and I think we both thought that Kim there was something in what Paige said about Chuck that changed Kim's mind about the documents she was about to hand over to Mesa Verde, and then she left with the sense of purpose to go edit the documents. That's what it seemed like. But in the end, it seemed that maybe just hearing Paige talk about Chuck's, what she thinks is Chuck's horrible mistake, had Kim going, well, if this is the playing field that we're on, I don't right. want to be guilty of anything being in the it wrong place. It just scared her into thinking, I've got to pour over every semicolon. Right. Which she literally did. It took me a right. minute to tell. I think we both were, you paused it. I read what was on the screen. Like yeah. there was a moment where I thought, are we supposed to know what she's changing in the document? And it's no, not, she's not changing anything important to us. She's just obsessing over a small detail. Right. And right. she went through the same things I go through, yeah. which is, is this two sentences? I know a comma's not right, but a semicolon, isn't that kind of overused? Two dashes just feels like I'm trying something different here. Yeah. <laughs> go back to the semicolon. I just thought that was great. And I think that tells us something about Kim, that she doesn't want to repeat chunks 
chunk. She doesn't want to repeat Chuck's mm-hmm. non-mistake, you know, but she also is just good at her job and cares about this stuff. And in that same scene, Jimmy's, you know, um, painting over the rainbow, which has to be like a visual metaphor for like the good times are at an end or something. You know, there's no way that Jimmy's sadly, dolefully painting over a rainbow isn't supposed to mean something. But the notion that maybe he's willing to leave a job halfway done while she's obsessing over a semicolon and he's out there just waiting for her to be done so they can go grab dinner. Yeah. Makes him seem like a devoted boyfriend, but it also makes him seem like a shirker, you know? Right. Just a goof. Well, I was going to say, if we're uh, off the topic of Chuck and moving on to Mike, yes, just how much Mike's uh, plots, we've had a few of these, are just so much uh, like watching a How It's Made episode. Yes. <laughs> it's like, like first you uh, take this device and use a screwdriver and turn it and pop it off this way and, you know, and then get a manual. Uh, but that's fun. It's like a, a, a silent... Uh, Drama, watching him. Well, he had a slow burn in a show that is a slow burn. He had a plot that was a slow burn over the episode where I had to keep going, oh, there's going to be a detail in the next scene that makes me feel slightly less confused about what he was doing in the last scene. So everything from him taking the car apart. My first thought was, how does he know he was followed and not just watched? Like, how does he know that he wasn't just being watched while he was out in the desert with the gun on uh, Hector? Right, or he's just sure somehow that there was no car even in my distant rearview mirror. Right. There, there must be some other way they knew I was here. And he is set up at the beginning of the next episode to be embroiled in the beginning of a, of a exciting adventure. The How It's Made sequence with Mike, um, there was a lot of great like time lapse with him taking all the pieces out of the car, the stuff like there was a shot from within an exhaust pipe. That felt like they were really pulling out all the Breaking Bad tricks. There's really only one other character, and it's, it's not even really a character we haven't talked about, but it's a, a section of the show that we haven't talked about, but we haven't talked about Gene yet. Um, I think that's a fitting way to kind of wrap up the episode because I think the Gene vignette is um, like maybe the most frustrating in a way because we thus far haven't seen more than one Gene vignette in a season. Yeah. So at the end of this vignette, Gene... Talk about taking it slow. Collapses. Yeah, and splatters uh, icing on his face. I think even if he has like any kind of terminal physical condition, it would be way too reminiscent of Breaking Bad. Like... Mm-hmm. If he's got some diagnosis or something. Right. I, and I realized I don't like that in storylines. Like, um, I was rewatching Deadpool recently, and it got to the part where he figures out he's got cancer, you know, which is the kind of the impetus for the storyline. Yeah. And I realized I don't like, I mean, I know you don't like it when it happens in life, but it's a real downer for me when I'm watching a story and someone, the scene in the doctor's office, and it's like, it's too real life for me or something in the middle of drama. So I would sort of hope that there's something else going on with Jimmy. And what I thought was, maybe we will see this year signs of what that is. Like, maybe we won't see Gene again, but we will see Jimmy pass out from some kind of panic attack oh, or yeah. from something that happens. And it right. will just tell us, oh, it's it's happening again, this stress-induced attack. Right. And it would be interesting if Jimmy had some physical malady like that that might be hard to pin down like Chuck's. I just thought it would be an interesting thing to see happen because Jimmy passing out from seemingly nothing is a little bit like Chuck having his episodes. It's hard to see what's going on. But I would I would be actually disappointed if it's, an, if it's like a health scare um, that we're, that Gene's going to be sick with something. I just feel like that's right. too much of the same thing. Or I feel like the other thing could be if, uh, let's say we went through this season and then next season we just started with Gene and we're just on Gene because the the Jimmy story is over and, yeah. and what you could do then, I don't think this is what they would do because it doesn't seem 
quite like the time or place. But if you did that, then you could go right into showing enough of of Gene and and his uh, world to understand that when he whenever he is fully confronted with having lost his his life as a lawyer, um, that it gives him a fainting spell just from the the anxiety and overwhelming. Uh, attack, you know, and mm-hmm. and then you would explain that that's going on with him, and then you would use that and show him continuing to try to just make Cinnabons, and then saying, "Gosh darn it, I've got to go back to being Saul." And you would you would you would pick up with him, um, racing back to Albuquerque and reclaiming his life, you know, or something along that line. If we see Jimmy come up with Saul after having an episode like that, and then we see Gene have had an episode like that, it maybe tells us that Gene's going to get up and do what you just said. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like, without seeing Gene again, we can hint at what Gene might do through seeing what Jimmy does under a similar oh, yeah. circumstance in his yeah. past. Uh, anyway. Well, either way, I think we, we we have a lot invested in the Gene storyline because that's the forward storyline. That's the future. I think they know they've got something really cool there. I do think a season or at least an episode set in Gene's world would be a really cool thing to see. But um, I'm also really happy with the way they come up with these perfect little vignettes. And I did want to say that I thought that the scenario with the shoplifter was the perfect moral dilemma to give Jimmy slash Gene in the sense that it's not some overdramatic grand, it's still slice of life and kind of mundane. But the fact that he sees the kid, he does motion towards the photo booth where the kid is hiding. Mm-hmm. And then he has like an attack of conscience or whatever the opposite of con- criminal conscience. <laughs> it's like, he doesn't want to see this guy screwed by a system. Maybe that's just going to have no, give him no freedom. You know, it's right. not going to give him room to be a human. Um, but it's, it was interesting to see that he both, he both ratted the guy out and then felt terrible about it and tried to help the guy in whatever way he could before the guy being dragged away. I right. just thought that was a great right. little short story about Gene to to tell us because it tells us about what, again, it, te- it causes us to question what we value about Jimmy. Like, do we value Jimmy doing the right thing or do we value Jimmy being the sort of guy who would have helped that kid or might have, might have at least not nodded towards the photo booth, you know? Yeah. They gave Gene some cool time-lapse stuff with making... Uh, Cinnabons, which yes. to me felt like later when we see Mike like taking a car apart and looking for a tracking device. It's cool <laughs> right? to see the, the, the different worlds that they're operating in. Yeah. Well, I only had one more thing uh, to mention, uh, uh, a character we haven't touched on uh, that I thought was very well executed is the penguin on the ice bag that Ernesto brings to Chuck's house. <laughs> it's just a great little, it's, it's almost Chilly Willy from uh, Walter Lance cartoons, if you're aware of, of Chili Willy, uh, the same studio that brought us Woody Woodpecker, is a wonderful little penguin. So he's a, totally a Chili Willy ripoff, but he's not quite Chili Willy, and the way he's looking out from behind a little pole is just uh, a, a wonderfully executed little classic cartoon drawing, and so I just wanted to uh, give a, a special thumbs up to the, to the Ice Penguin. Anything else? That's it. I'm done. Ice Penguin. Ice Penguin. Hot talk. Hot talk.